0: Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Foreign Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And today we have a great episode. In this month of November, ELF has a campaign running with the title Market-Based Solutions to Climate Change. And for that, here in the pod, we have the privilege to be joined by André Anxenguer. André is a senior energy and climate analyst at Climate Analytics that focuses mainly on the European energy policy and transformation of the transportation sector we talk about the state of climate change policies COP26 and here a warning that this conversation was recorded before the start of the conference and we also go into a very important issue and very close to Andre which is what is happening with his home country of Poland regarding protecting the environment another conversation i'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by elf for this month of november I'm here with Andrei and Siger Andrei, thank you so much for coming to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Always really good to have you on the podcast. And as we're getting close to the UN Climate Change Conference, COP26 in Glasgow, you are the right person to have on the pod because all the work you do in this particular area, the interest, and quite frankly, and I read some of your stuff, the, the clarity that you present some of the key arguments for uh, working in this level. And... As I also said, uh, ELF is particularly interested in market-based solutions for this problem. But before that, let's go a little bit where we are right now. That is, we have the Paris Agreement, temperature limit definition. All countries said, yes, we'll work for that goal. But where are we right now?
1: We are not where we should be. According to the International Energy Agency, already in December 2020, CO2 emissions were higher. Than in December 2019. So the idea that we will have peaked emissions in 2019 does does not seem very realistic at this point. According to another calculations by Climate Transparency report, emissions 2020 will be will increase by around four percent. That will still not take us back. And as, a, as a globe, as a globe, uh, to 2019, because in 2020 emissions decreased by 6%. So we will still in 2021 be below 2019 level, but let's see how it goes along. So for some countries like China, India, Indonesia, emissions in 2021 will be higher than 2019. So it's not quite clear how much structural change happened due to the pandemic so far. So there may be some mental change, people working from home, for example. At the same time, working from home allows you to work from anywhere. So, yes, you will spend less time in the, in the car, but maybe more time in the plane traveling to another place to do a week off somewhere else where you will still be working. At the same time, there were some positive signs. So, the wind of change from the United States, um, you know, a radical change to where we've been a year ago with the uh, Biden administration. Mm-hmm the question is how long this will last. So midterm elections in 2022 are coming, uh, presidential election in 2024. So there is still, you know, the hope that what he or his administration starts just cannot be changed anymore when people realize the benefits of of renewable energy sources, of energy efficiency, of uh, relying much less on fossil fuels. Uh, And there are many of those kind of benefits I can go into this later on as well. Some countries are also perceiving climate action as a way out of the economic crisis. So already now that 12 million jobs in the renewable energy sector, there can be many, many more. And renewables, energy efficiency provides you with the flexibility as well. You can just create those jobs in places where you do really need them in rural areas, in energy efficiency measures, for example. You can also have some places affected by structural poverty and unemployment by putting the manufacturing Factories there as well, for example, for batteries, for equipment needed for solar energy and wind energy as well. And some countries are perceiving this as a way out of the economic crisis as well. So finally, there is also something that we've been waiting for. So climate action is becoming a race now, not only a race against the physics, but also a race between countries to mm. develop new technologies to transition out of away from fossil fuel. You can see, for example. Uh, countries saying, we are going to be the lead country for hydrogen development uh, and, uh, and other areas. So the cool thing about climate action is that there are so many different niches where you can be the leader. It's not like, you know, race to the moon. I mean, it's partly like the race to the moon. It's just much more useful uh, at the same time. However, you can be leader in climate action in one area and another country will be leader in another area. And that's also a very good basis for cooperation between these countries. So generally very mixed picture. On the ground emissions are recovering. Well, we're kind of expecting that. Let's see how much they will go, go back to where they've been before the pandemic. At the same time, there is some basis for some lasting structural change and accelerating emissions reduction that we desperately need this decade. Just as a follow-up
0: of what you said, like there are proposals for climate clubs where countries can cooperate exactly on that race that you were saying. There are countries that are taking the lead. It's very interesting that you're talking about the United States, and we're not going to go into that. But one of the concerns of the new administration is actually to have something to show in Glasgow, which is not very easy with some of the senators they have, which keep defending coal, the coal industry on their uh, home states. Let me just do a very quick follow-up, Andrea, and I'm very interested in your opinion on this, because you mentioned the pandemic was it the pandemic a show that things can change, or do you think that if you didn't have COVID, things would be even worse regarding the Paris Agreement? Do you have an opinion on that?
1: When the pandemic started, we were afraid. Or some of I was afraid that we will end up in where we've been in 2008, 2009. That uh, you know the priority will be let's just get out of the you know health crisis, the financial crisis. Uh, the economic crisis, you know, climate is not a priority now when people are losing their jobs and so on and so forth. But that was the worry. And it, most cases, it did not materialize, luckily. Um, there is the understanding we do have the mm-hmm. climate crisis, mm-hmm. even if we sort out the health crisis and economic crisis. The climate crisis will be with us. We have to make it to an opportunity to move our economy away from fossil fuel because fossil fuels is the main limitation in our economy. Actually, you know, when you look at the economic crisis in the past, many of them have been worsened by our dependence on fossil fuel. For example, 2008, 2009. You know, if you cannot pay for fuel to go to your new work because of the spike in oil prices in 2006, 2007. That it made made it more difficult to pay your mortgage, for example. So it, the, the, this didn't help us. Not to mention the previous economic crisis. Yes, we are now learning lessons, and you know the politicians are not very good at learning lessons, actually. <laughs> um, so, so in do this tell. case, we do see some progress. <laughs> so uh, at the same time, you know, with the pandemic um, and, and preparation for Glasgow, we also have some improvements, some some new declarations. However, that was way not enough still. So you can see us big discrepancy between some countries using the climate crisis as a chance to get out of the economic crisis and solve two or three crises at the same time. And some other countries are just lagging behind. Mm -hmm. Some countries did not submit NDC, for example, so far, Australia, Brazil, uh, Russia, uh, Switzerland is still coming up with something. What has been submitted so far is closing only 15% of the gap between where we've been before, before 2020 in terms of the pledges and where we have to be, so uh, to be compatible with 1.5 in 2030. So only 15% of the uh, gap has been closed, emissions will only decrease slightly, even if the pledges are met, and the emissions would have to have um, uh, to to, to take us to the pathways to Paris Agreement um, compatibility. So the main idea, the main point is that 2020s are decisive, because it's not only where you will be in 2050, we have a, a number of declarations about climate neutrality, uh, Russia, China, and not to mention any other countries, obviously, EU has the climate neutrality goal already for a while. But the, mo- the main point is, how, do you get, how are you going to get there? You just cannot have 20 gigatons of emissions in 2049 and then go to zero, net zero in 2050. Uh, the, what, how much you emit in the meantime is very important as mm-hmm. well. And we just need to close, uh, remove, uh, slow down emissions of fossil fuels rapidly in 2020s in the areas when we have the tools, when the our climate action is cheaper than business as usual, that's power sector, that's transport, that's buildings, for example, and uh, we still have so that we still have some space in the climate budget for more challenging sectors like aviation, like steel, cement, chemicals. We need to prepare basis for that. We need to develop the technologies. Mm-hmm. It's happening now so that we rapidly decarbonize in those sectors as well in 2030s, 2040s. The pandemic is started a major change, actually, but uh, let's see how big the change is. And the sad thing sad thing about it is that, you know, why did we need the pandemic to, to move us slightly in the right direction? We should use common sense, actually. So that's sad thing about it. But, well, we are, we are where we are.
0: Let me stay there because it's very, quite interesting what you just mentioned about politicians having to learn lessons and not us human race, not needing more incentives than the, the, the more logical one, which is we need to save our habitat. Because I do notice that in the European Union, this is a priority. This is something that from the European Commission all the way to, and as you said correctly, so all the way to member states, governments, and, and, and even activists, we are talking about climate change in the EU and how to fight it. Tell me where we are on this. On your opinion, are we leading the way? Are we still? This is like a lot of conversations, but not a
1: lot of things happening. So the EU did did make quite a few steps in the right direction. Uh, so the new emission action goal, the 55% mission action goal, adopted um, recently and sent in the new NDC. Uh, is a step in the right direction. It's not where we should should be. We should be in at least uh, 58-60% emission reduction, depending on the modelling, but this reflects the least cost. Um, So least cost ignores the historic um, responsibility, the capability and so so on. So this goal should be complemented with quite a big support for countries suffering from climate change but not able to deal with this um, and not really you know focusing on some other aspects for example so we, this is why the climate action in the mm-hmm. eu should be accompanied with supporting other countries beyond outside of the eu but still the eu is going in the right direction another point is for example the making the climate mm-hmm. uh neutrality goal in 2050 and 2030 the new goal of 20 for 2030 binding I'd also, i also would like to underline that we cannot forget the at least 55 percent in the in this in this new goal so at least because the this is creating opportunity to go beyond this goal, as the European Commission did with the previous goal. For example, we had 40% emission reduction, but the new energy efficiency and renewable energy goal goals resulted would have resulted in emission reduction by at least 46, 46 to 48%. So just don't forget about the at least aspect. It's at least 55 uh, emission reduction goal for the EU. And very good mm-hmm. side uh, or very, something that the European Union did, uh, European Commission actually so far uh, did well was to present already a pathway to get us to the 55% because pledge itself, it's nice, but it's just the first step. You also have to take us there. Uh, so they really meet this pledge and, and go beyond that. Mm-hmm. So the Fit for 55 package of proposal presented by the commission in uh, July this year uh, is a step in the right direction. However, now it's up to member states and the parliament I'm, more, I'm much more worried about the member states, which are usually, some of them especially, very conservative in terms of uh, thinking what, what can be done. They're just lagging behind the society. You mentioned uh, social movements, for example. So many, many governments all are lagging behind where the society is already in terms of action. So they're not um, as you know decisive as they should be in climate action. So at the same time, also, you know, it's, it's far from perfect what's happening in the EU. There is still some push for natural gas, which is quite surprising in terms of the current energy crisis that we are witnessing in the European Union. Why would you like to make yourself more dependent on this fuel? And uh, in this case, uh, so there is a mixed picture in the EU as well. More, Mm -hmm. More to the positive, but still not. Some things can still be improved.
0: Yes, you are referring to the question of Nord Stream 2 the gas pipeline coming from uh, from Russia here actually in Portugal we do also talk a lot about natural gas but that is because of the economic benefits of receiving natural liquidified gas from either the United States or from Australia or from Qatar so there there's the, or for example the south of Spain where it is also a hub for entry of gas so yes that's a great point and maybe I'll have you on the podcast soon that we can talk about that is how much can we just break away? And you were mentioning some countries that are still very coal-dependent. I do notice that, for example, in the eastern, central and eastern part of Europe, those are, those are resistance that we still have. You were talking about some countries being lagged, some countries not you know, being fully committed to this kind of objectives. And I'm going to jump to already a topic that I know it's of interest to you, you being a Polish the worsening or relationship between Warsaw and Brussels on many, many aspects. (laughs) Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to go over a couple of them that really need a larger discussion. But let's talk about Poland's energy and climate policy. And how do you see the future coming from your home country
1: let me tell you a few words, not as an uh, energy and climate uh, expert, but as a Polish citizen. It's it's uh, it's quite it's so sad and and disappointing to see how uh, you know the Polish government and the Polish Constitutional Court, which is far from being independent. It's been some mem- some of its members were um, kind of nominated indirectly by the government, which is definitely mm-hmm. not the way it should be. Um, how this the government and, the, and this court are undermining the effort of generations of Poles, uh, which uh, as a, in the end allowed Poland to join the European Union. The, the major success of Polish politics over the last 30 years was joining NATO and European Union. And uh, people like myself living in Berlin now can really benefit from this. And uh, many of the Poles um, working around Europe and, and benefiting from the European uh, Union and, and, and also sharing the values of the European Union uh, are very disappointed by what's going on uh in in Warsaw not in Warsaw as a city but in the in the in the center of you know because Warsaw itself as a city is an amazing place and and uh but uh, I can
0: attest to that dear listeners I <laughs> I can vouch for this <laughs>
1: exactly so this is why I would like to focus this as Paul myself I don't criticize Poland I I would like to criticize Polish government which is again taking Poland in the very wrong direction currently and Going to the energy and climate area, thanks to membership in the European Union, Poland had a chance to move away, move away from fossil fuels. And uh, you know, Poland will move from fossil fuels this way or the other. Polish coal is much more expensive to extract and much more dangerous to extract. We had 123 coal miners who died underground uh, because Polish coal mines are much more dangerous, much deeper. Um, so, you know, Poland is already importing coal from other places. Most of it from Russia, actually. So, you know, if Poland would like to stick to coal, it would either have to import coal, or it would let it would have to in, introduce sanctions against all the coarse, uh, coal in, exporters to Poland. So, well, good luck with that. So, Poli- Poland would have to get out of coal this way or the other. Polish cities in Upper Silesia belong to the most polluted in Europe as well. Uh, because of the coal dependency to some degree, not only coal, but also uh, mainly coal. And the benefits to moving to renewables are huge. So um, the European could support us and is supporting Poland um, in this this effort. So, you know, this Mm -hmm. is the transformation that Poland for the first time in its history does not have to do on its own. So, you know, it, it, it would be very disappointing to see Poland giving up this chance because of certain political gains. At the same time, I very much hope that there will be a compromise between Brussels and Warsaw, At the same time, you know, now moving to me being based in Western Europe, in Berlin or in Germany, you know, and it's difficult to understand for Germans, my friends, to understand how can you, you know, take European money and ignore European values. It just does not work. And this is something that the government has to understand in Poland and also that some poles have to understand as well that if you join the european union mm. you it's not a it's not a piggy bank it's 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 there are some responsibilities coming with that as well so that's something i do hope that we will learn in poland in this regard uh, from this from this crisis
0: this is a very interesting point and we're going to stay here for a little longer because you just mentioned political games and and that is this is not just exclusive of of poland and polish government other governments that I do follow. I see them doing this political games also. But you know the Polish reality a little better. Is it stubbornness? Is It is because they want to be against some consensus. Because as you said and very correctly so, coal has no future.
1: I wish I, wish I could understand. I could. I, I wish I could. I could know what 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 what's in the in the in the minds of 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 uh, Polish Prime Minister and actually of the. Uh, Jarosław kaczynski the leader of the of the peace party who's actually you know the, the, the real uh ruler of poland actually um and the, the most important person in the country even if he's just a member of the uh, of the parliament and the leader of the biggest political party in poland so um it's difficult to understand what's driving them I can have suspicions uh, in this regard mm-hmm. there is certain you know for there are many reasons why poles should be proud of their history. And it's sad that this history is misused, uh, the, that the proudness uh, of, of, of Poles uh, is in this regard misused. Uh, and, and the European Union is perceived or is not perceived, is presented as kind of like the enemy by some people, some politicians in the Europe, in, in Poland. So again, this, this is completely misleading. Uh, so th- there is a very small group, a part of society that may... Be somehow gained by that, but uh, or can be susceptible to these arguments. But you know, that the point about the EU, as we could see uh, in the case of the European of the of the Greek of of, the United Kingdom, is well, the door is open, you can leave. So, this is something that's uh, you know, that there is a limit and that complaining that European Union uh, and you know, not not only European Union, Europeans themselves and European taxpayers, for example, can are willing to endure uh so this is something that that Polish government may be miscalculating it's not the argument with the european commission european commission can just cannot say uh, you know yes we give you all the money just stay with us no it can it, even if it were willing to which is it is seemingly not anymore it also has to be uh, you know responsible to the european citizens um and who who will just not you know contribute the tax money to a government which is uh, you know, becoming increasingly undemocratic, ignoring uh, rights of minorities, and uh, and doing some quite a lot of other things that you shouldn't do if you are part of the European family.
0: Well, I don't pretend to know all the intricacies of uh, the PIS government mode of thinking, but it does look like they want to be tied up to some reactionary ideas from a past that is not that far away, but they will die on that hill. And let's hope that the Polish people do change government uh, pretty soon. Getting back to our conversation about climate uh, change, climate action. One thing that we're going through, Andrei, it's an a, a energy crisis and uh, how these things relate to each other. So tell us what should be short and long-term reactions to this particular point.
1: Um, Yes, the reaction uh, to this crisis, or maybe this way, we do have uh, two main explanations of the crisis currently, uh, which which also determine the reaction. So uh, for some, the economic crisis has been driven by too slow development of renewables and energy energy efficiency. Kind of, that's a no-brainer solution. That's a common sense solution. Uh, Each kilowatt hour from solar and wind, each heat pump replacing gas heating, each renovated house is decreasing our demand for natural mm-hmm. gas. Some governments not stopped and slowed down development of renewables and here I'm you know complaining about uh, you know Germany slowing down development of wind energy significantly over the last few years and you know we we have tens of thousands of jobs that've been lost because of that. And uh, solar energy earlier the same happened in 2015 in Poland as well. So onshore wind uh was development of onshore wind was significant, significantly slowed down. So this made us more dependent on natural gas than we would have been otherwise. At the same time, uh, renewables in the EU, according to calculation by the Center for Research on Energy and Clean Air, um, in July, August and September, renewables and energy efficiency measures, measures allowed us to save 33 billion from of, of imports from natural gas. So hadn't we had those renewables, mm-hmm. we would have paid much, much more for the imported natural, natural gas which is coming from countries we do not really want to support, I would argue, uh, like Russia. So, uh, you know, this is also surprising in terms of the other reaction to the, to the, to the energy crisis, blaming European climate policy for that. I have to admit this reaction, which is kind of belo- which belongs to the family of reactions, blame the EU for everything. It's really really difficult to understand. Uh, so you know you, you you blame the EU for freeing you from the fossil fuel that is actually now making our energy bills explode. So actually without European climate and energy policy, it's diff- it, it's scary to imagine where we would have where we would, we would have been uh, in this in this regard. So um, the I just hope that the reaction to this energy crisis will that the common sense will prevail. And that the reaction will be accelerating the transformation away from fossil fuels, moving away from, you know, Russian gas to um you know solar energy that you can generate on our roofs our own roofs and i do have a very good example of that as well Mm -hmm. uh you know speaking of my roof um so in this in this let
0: me let me just interrupt you so you're not just theoretical you're practical you 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 have the practical also
1: i'm trying i'm doing doing my best as well in this regard so it's fascinating (laughs) you know when the sun rises up and you see how much more power you have uh just generated from your own roof and how much less money is flowing you know, to other countries, uh, you know, it's, it's challenging sometimes. Um, but we have the, all the tools we need, actually, to get ourselves out of fossil fuels. We just need to use those tools. It's, it's so pressing or disappointing to see how a country um, like Germany, which financed development of solar energy, of PV, because of the feeding tariffs, which was a very efficient, effective tool to decrease the cost of this technology in the end. Um, and yes it was expensive but it was a technology which is now the cheapest way to generate electricity actually from solar uh, from solar pv how this potential and the, the, the cost that we uh, that we paid for is now wasted because we do not really use this technology as much as we could have um so and 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 again each kilowatt hour from this source of energy decreases our dependency on imported fossil fuels so that's something we should be we should be using and uh, You know, one of the countries, it's amazing when I started dealing with climate policy, with energy policy, those calling for coal phase out in Poland. Been called, been called Putin's agents. And now the government, because uh, if you want to get out of coal, you probably want mm. Poland to get into natural gas. Well, My call was actually to go to renewables. But well, according to the government, you know, going to renewables is not possible. In any in, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. That was different government at the same point as well. Uh, at the same time, now the government itself is calling for a bigger dependency on, on, on fossil fuels, uh, on, on gas. Yes, the gas is not directly from Russia. But you know if we purchase if Poland purchases Norwegian natural gas, someone else purchases Russian gas, for example, and you know we're speaking about the mostly market prices at the moment. So no matter where the gas is coming from, parts of the money is ending up in putting pockets. So uh, we somehow have to deal understand this as well. So the only way forward is to renew is to move towards renewables. Mm-hmm. There are some calls for developing nuclear power. The point here is the issue here is in addition to all this issue with cost, that's the most expensive source of energy, that's the one with the certain risks as well. If you decide now to build a nuclear power plant, it may be there in the 2030s. By By mid 2030, we should be we should decarbonize our electricity system as well, because electricity is the leverage, it's the lever that will allow us to decarbonize other sectors as well. So, you know, nuclear energy is not the solution to the challenge we have at this moment. You can have Solar energy accelerating development solar energy within a month. You can have wind energy within years. And you can offshore wind, offshore wind within two, three, four years as well. So these are the ways to get out of the uh, financial, uh, out of the energy crisis and out of the economic crisis as well. So we should just use this potential.
0: Very good. Andreas as we are getting to the end of our time together, and I'm going to ask you if you please come to the podcast, because we just, and uh, using the whole expression, we just scratched the surface in a couple of points that I would love to get into a little more detail. But for now, and to just end... This uh, podcast, in particular, as we're getting close to uh, the COP in Glasgow, I did study for another reason. I did study the what happened in the Copenhagen, the insatisfaction, and in and in in, a, in some ways the failure of that COP, and in Paris, very successful. Now Glasgow, things little look a little a little fragile. So. Th- Tell me what is your expectations for this uh, particular summit?
1: Well, there must be a difference between expectation and hope, right? So uh, I'm, I'm just hoping that this 85% of the gap is, uh, will be closed, uh, that, that countries will take, uh, will, will take you know, action and, and instigate change. Um, not only the pledges are obviously something we're expecting, uh, but I'm hoping that this will be followed by practical steps um, in this regard. We need to increase also... Climate funding for countries which will, um, which which are not able um, to take action on their own at this stage. At the same, at the same, also another point in this regard is, you know, we are the ones who contribute to this to this problem, so we should also support the other countries. Um, so in this in this case, we can also allow some countries to skip the fossil fuel age. With uh, what we with the declaration, with the money, with the resources put on the table in Glasgow, for example. So because they would just they can just move away, move, move straight towards renewables, towards source of energy that would empower them to get out of poverty as well. So in terms of uh, what what will happen in Glasgow, well, let's see. It's uh, the most important climate summit we had since Paris, probably, and. Uh, that's also an opportunity for countries to close the gap, to um, instigate a radical change that societies are demanding. So actually, it's a chance for uh, the governments to catch up with their own societies in many regards. So let's see where we will be in three weeks' time, and uh, that will be very exciting.
0: Well, I've been talking with Andrei Ansiger. Andre, this was a fantastic conversation, very illuminating. Thank you so much for sharing some of your time with us. And again, I hope to have you back on the podcast soon.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Anytime.
0: I'm back, just a reminder that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher and if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. Enough of some of the events organized by ELF for this month of November and the second week of November is going to be particularly rich in events. For example, we start on the 8th of November at 6.45 pm Central European time with the event Last Wake Up Called for Europe. There is a dispute about the future of Europe. For example, the EU budget is a point of contention between southern countries and others that are more frugal. What is needed is to find solutions to preserve the European project. Also on the 8th, and still in Belgium, but this time in a hostend, starting also at 6.30pm, we have the event Liberal White Book 2030 Roadshow. This will include the participation of MAP's Guy Versfostat and the president of Health, Hilde Hütmans, where they will go into more granular view of this very important publication. Then moving to the ninth, this time online in on Zoom, from Helsinki, we have the event The Importance of Open Borders. Five experts will go into how their labor markets were affected by the policy of open borders and how this is important for Europe to thrive. And finally, on the 10th, we have On the Agenda, the future of the EU energy market. This is also going to be online, based in Brussels, where experts will go into how policymakers can seize the opportunity to reform the EU energy market. As usual, to know all about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. the Liberal Europe podcast it's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal This podcast is co founded by the European Parliament and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum <laughs>